Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The arraignment of President Trump happening in Miami. To the extent that there's anything to cover, I'll cover it. I just can't imagine there's going to be anything to cover. Is there is there some statement that Trump's going to make uh, be- beforehand? I don't think so. I think it's going to be the same as we see uh, or as we saw in New York when he was indicted by the district attorney Alvin Bragg. Of course, that was a nonsense political indictment, one of just patheticness, and we should all be ashamed that it took place. In this indictment, you can at least argue that the feds have something because they're claiming that they have the deliberate, purposeful moves from Donald Trump to keep the FBI from engaging in investigation. Of course, that's what they say. They have the statements from Trump lawyers saying Trump wanted us to destroy documents for him. At least that's what they say. What do they have? Well, that's a much different conversation, which is why you go to trial. If we learned anything from OJ, you have to go to trial. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833 got Tony, 833-468-8669. I have referred to the fact that I consider the indictment of Trump to be damning, but I don't think I've ever described why. Uh, Two things. First, I learned things in the indictment that I do believe certainly are true. And I'm a guy who said, why was there a raid at the house? Why was there a raid at Mar-a-Lago? The st- he was working with NARA. He was working with the archives. He w- the Secret Service put the documents behind a door that they put the lock on. What was the need for the raid? Well, if they believed that he was moving the documents around, keeping them from the documents, okay. That's their justification for the raid, that they weren't getting the documents that they were supposed to get. Now, we can then argue the second part. What made them think they should get the documents? This is the conversation about the classification conversation. So, again, I'll state, for the record, that the president can declassify anything the president chooses anytime the president wants to do it. The declassification process doesn't actually exist. It is declassified by the president declassifying it. So does that mean a statement? I declassified this, or does that mean an action, like taking documents with him from the White House to Mar-a-Lago? The action is the declassification. Of course, that's the argument that Trump would make. It doesn't, for me, satisfy the insanity of having the documents. Well, Tony, he needed the documents, so when he was president again, he could go after the people in the deep state. Guys, you can't sell me on that one. Taking the documents, having the documents, to me, is unacceptable. If it's unacceptable for Biden, if it's unacceptable for Mike Pence, it's unacceptable for for Trump. And I don't need the documents to prove anything. If I'm president, the first thing I'm doing, the first thing I'm doing is clearing out the swamp, firing 2,000 people from the DOJ, 2,000 people from the State Department. I am finding a field agent out of Indianapolis. They're now in charge of the FBI, and I'm firing everybody in between. You think I need a document for that? I'm the president of the United States. End of list. I'll fire anybody I damn well choose. And that's how I think Trump should handle it if he's president or DeSantis or anybody else. 
So do I think that the document, the, the, the indictment is damning? Yes, I do. Because I think it's damning in terms of how America will perceive him in a general. Do I think it stops his chances of getting the nomination? No, I don't. If we've seen anything, those chances haven't been stopped at all. I'll talk more about it coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. In my conversation with Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, about what's going on with inflation rates and what's going on with this credit crunch, this idea that banks can see interest rates going up because the possibility of people being able to borrow money is less and you're like, I don't, I don't get why that is. Well, the interest rates are higher, so therefore they'll, they'll borrow less. But you're telling me you're going to raise the interest rates and therefore that's going to force them to borrow less. Exactly. Oh, that's a thing. And it's real. And so there have been articles now about this. And so I went to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, to ask him his thoughts on, on how this all comes together or maybe better said where this goes specifically, not only for our economy, for us, but are we about to see a problem with local or regional banks? He doesn't think so, but it's better he explain it than I do. So now where does this take us, right? So a little bit of crystal ball conversation, but I think that you're if we're already seeing these things play out, and for example, in, in the car market where we're telling the used car dealer, no, you can't have the cash to go buy used cars because the price is coming down. We don't feel there's going to be enough people. You're going to have problems paying it back. So we reduce the credit there. Give me another industry where we're going to see a reduction uh, of credit. And then how is that going to trickle down to our everyday lives? Okay, Tony, let me let me be careful about being too pessimistic. First, let me be pessimistic and say it's going to be in any kind of invent, any kind of company that has inventory, any retail business. But remember I talked about the battle between Biden and Powell. Now let me talk about the battle between uh, Biden and the growth and the ingenuity and the innovation of the US economy because you have these companies like AI, Nvidia that are being much more productive they're being very positive. They're causing the market to go up. They're causing productivity to increase. They're increasing the size of the economic pie in contrast to an administration that's trying to shrink the pie. It's another battle that capitalism is having against this administration. Because this administration is not capitalism friendly. So when, when, when Janet Yellen said this, what should she have said instead? Because it's, I, I think one could make the argument that her point was we need to get less cash into the system so we can bring that inflation down. That would be the overarching uh, theory of, of why she would say something like that. What should she have said instead? And if you say to me, nothing, just do nothing. Let the market work itself out. Uh, that's my answer. So you don't get to give my answer. You have to give a more economist kind of answer. Okay. If I'm not allowed to say she should say nothing, and I do believe Washington should just get out of the way. Wall Street and Main Street should be on the headlines not Washington, D.C. So whenever they speak, they cause problems. But I'll tell you, if she had to say anything, Tony, it should be grow businesses. We talk about cash and stuff. Well, Tony, grow more stuff. That's the free market capitalist approach. Cut taxes, reduce regulation, grow the economy. Because if you have more stuff, Tony, then you can handle more cash. I've told you before, Trump was a spendaholic. Not as bad as Biden, but he spent way too much money. But the economy grew so they could sustain that increase in cash because the economy was growing. It's not the same situation now.
one of the questions uh, that I got as, as as we're having this conversation is from Freddie. Uh, is this the beginning of the end for banks? As you see, I mean, we've already seen some banks uh, go under. We've already seen some bailouts. We know not every bank is going to get a bailout. Are we about to see banks start going under in some way? Because if they're not lending, they're not making any money. No, Tony. The answer is no. Um, do banks go under? Yes. Will some continue to? Yes. They go under every year. That's the normal process of the economy, the free market. But no, the banks, especially the, the regional banks that we have here in the in the middle of Indiana, these are solid banks. I've looked at their financial statements. They have good balance sheets. They're not at risk. I'm not concerned about banks going under, Tony. What are you concerned about? I'm concerned that this administration will continue to destroy the economy. They'll put more regulations, more taxes. Tony, this administration even announced from their own official reports in the last two months that we will have rolling brownouts across the country because of a reduction in energy. This administration has reduced the amount of energy since the day he got in office with his first executive order. And as a result, we don't have enough energy to supply the country. That is absurd. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, before before I let you go, I, I'm, I'm looking for something concrete here. As we see this uh, credit crunch begin, what ends it? Meaning exactly how long, to the extent that you can decide exactly, how long does this go on? Because as we've just now described it, inflation isn't going to go down. Certainly interest rates are not going to go down. How does this end? It ends very simply, Tony, when banks think they will get paid back. Now, when will banks get think they will get paid back? When the government gets off the neck of the consumer and, and stops stepping on the neck of businesses. When they see businesses have the freedom to, and to flourish and be prosperous and be innovative, that's when banks will lend again. But they're afraid they won't get paid back as long as the socialist agenda continues. That is Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, and I always appreciate him being with me, taking the time uh, to talk. I always find it interesting when he gets political, almost as if he he wants to. He's just infuriated, and as an academic, although he does a a, a lot of work, he doesn't often get uh, the opportunity. I, I can appreciate that. What if I said to you that certainly if you are a believer in a a not a socialist economy but a progressive economy he talks about energy and how his very first executive order biden's first executive order was about undoing energy in the united states a summer of rolling blackouts that's not who we are that's not for the good of us that's ugly and damning that is an ideology that it comes straight from the bowels of hell So we're clear, we're not better off if grandma doesn't have her air conditioning in July. Oh, by the way, grandma lives in Houston. Grandma is not better off. Grandma dies at that moment just so we understand each other. And she shouldn't have to walk down to the local shelter where they'll still have air conditioning for the greater good of humanity. That's a silly argument made by really awful people. But what if I said, you know, don't take a look at it as, as, as socialist, but take a look at it certainly as progressive. This ideology, which is 
because if we argue it's socialist, you're moving down the idea that there should be government control of, of business, right? That's that those socialist policies. In this case, it gets you there, but what's getting you there is the ideology. They truly believe that what they're doing is pious and just and moral. But what if the pious, just, and moral belief actually comes from this underpinning of control? That's right. I took you there and took you back in less than 60 seconds. Because while the the conversation of socialist comes up, it often falls on deaf ears because people go, oh, socialist, and they dismiss. That's why I believe you have to go into this other place of elitism. You have to discuss that there are people out there who believe that they simply know better than you based on their existence. They somehow are touched with the secret knowledge. This is exactly what Barry Weiss talked about when she resigned to the New York Times. These progressives all think they've got a secret knowledge and it's their job to pass it on to us. You know, spoon feed it to us. I forget the story where Chris Cuomo, when he was still at CNN, some document had gotten released and his argument to the people watching the show was that it was wrong that it was out there in the public. We're journalists. We're allowed to have this. You're not allowed to have it. He actually said the words, you're not allowed to have this. We have to tell you what it is. He said that. And then he got hired by News Nation. Uh, it's, it's embarrassing already. It's embarrassing. And I love that Chris Cuomo is having like Stephen A. Smith on the show. I, I don't, Stephen A. Smith is tr- clearly trying to build the brand. And I, and I don't I don't fault him for that. I haven't heard his political take, so I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, Chris Cuomo is desperately trying to find an audience because nobody's interested in Chris Cuomo. It's not that he can't do the job. It's that he's already proven that he hates the audience. He said he's embarrassed to be at News Nation. He said it's embarrassing. Why are they still hiring him? A lot of people who would love to have that job, love to have that opportunity, who wouldn't be embarrassed, who would come into work daily, gladly, and do something that's actually great. But he said to the audience, you don't get to have this. We have to tell you what this is. That's the elitism. It is there and it is real. And these people who want to spoon feed you and tell you what it is you're allowed to see. This was the argument that David Mamet made in the book, The Secret Knowledge, which is an absolutely must read. My book, Let's Go Barbecue. My book, Let's Go Bourbon, both available at Amazon.com. And David Mamet's Secret Knowledge. The Secret Knowledge is a must read book, just so we're all clear. So I like to discuss it when I get the opportunity, in, in, in this different way, that progressives have an ideology that they are good and decent and kind and moral, and they are the arbiters of what is good, what is decent, and what is moral, and they have to tell you what is good, what is decent, and what is moral, and how could you question them? Because they're elitists. Elitism. That is a, that is a disease as I see it, and I've discussed that for years. But once you start digging into where the elitism comes from and what its purpose is, the end goal of the elitist spoon feeding you the information, telling you what is good, what is decent and what is moral is about control. And right there, you're back to that socialism conversation. 
what I think is important about the way it gets phrased and the way I'm phrasing it, and you may disagree and you may even have a better way. I'm all ears. The, what, the reason I engage it the way I do is because if you say socialism at the first, it gets dismissed. If you start, start discussing the elitism and how these people act and how they believe they are your betters and they believe they are the moral arbiters, you can get into conversations of people shouldn't be managing other people. You're not a slave to another person. Slavery is always evil, always. And who are these people to tell you how to live and how to act and, and how to be? We're not talking about the passing of laws where people vote. We're discussing the idea that people saying you're not allowed to do X. You can't have air conditioning. You can't have a gas-powered car. You can't have a gas stove. You can't have a gas furnace. The ideology that says electric is better and, oh, you just don't understand. Oh, you don't care about the environment. Oh, that's okay. We're going to do this because it makes your life better. Pat you on the head, pat you on the head. You'll thank us. It's like the people who want you to eat bugs. And then as you describe these things and engage these things and, and, and like, why do they feel this way? Like, what, is, what, is the, what do they get out of this? Well, what they get out of it is control because they believe that they should be able to control how you live because you don't live right and they believe they know best. That's what socialists do. If you take a look at communism, we're not just talking about how it is, you know, engages the person, the individual, and removes their individuality. It is about the control of the state over all things. Everything is owned by the state, controlled by them. You lose all control because they know what's best for you and they put it under the guise of what? Equality. And now look how equal everybody is. But everyone has not risen up. It's not equality that moves people up. It pushes everybody down to the bottom. If everybody is wearing government-appointed gray garb that is full of mud, that's equality. You just got to ask yourself, is that the equality you want? And then when people say, well, what if I work hard? What if I do this? What if I do that? Merit is, is meaningless. Meritocracy is meaningless. What matters is that we create an equal society where everybody knows that they're not better or worse than anybody else. Except, of course, for the people on top telling you what it is you have to do, you know, for the good of the society. Like, for example, not run your air conditioning, Meemaw. That's how it plays out. That's how it works. So I believe in piecemealing the conversation to get back to the place. Now, maybe there's a better way, and I'm not saying it works on everybody. I am saying that it is the most honest of the conversations, and I believe in the honest conversations. I believe that, that you know, if you're, if you're trying to, to get a point across, this is how to do it. As for uh, the banks, I'm glad that Dr. Will doesn't see a problem with certainly local banks in, in, in the Indianapolis area or in central Indiana or in Indiana as a whole, uh, nor in, in, in areas across the country with regional banks that there's a lot of uh, solidness out there. Do I feel good about this economy? Nah. Do I see even worse things on the horizon? Yes. And this credit crunch conversation, this is really bothersome. Because if I can't lend, I can't grow. And if I can't grow the business, well, the only thing left to do is shrink. Maintaining, that's 
That's sometimes not enough, as many business owners know. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. Donald Trump is in Miami. The arraignment is going on right now. And of course, the big headline, Donald Trump surrenders and under arrest. Dum, dum, dum. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I don't know. I guess I should have uh, better sound effects for it. Donald Trump is under arrest. Ew, David. All right, maybe. Maybe that works. I don't, I don't know. My gosh. Who was suggesting that the case should be, uh, should be covered? It should, it should be televised uh, gavel to gavel? You know that's someone from CNN just desperate for ratings. Desperate for ratings. Meanwhile, while this is going on in Miami, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre holding a, a briefing. Specifically, but has President Biden, as he said to us previously, that he spoke directly to Vladimir Zelensky, to Vladimir Zelensky and told him that the F-16s, or was reassured that Zelensky would never use the F-16s to target anything inside Russian geographic territory. Has the president ever communicated to Vladimir Zelensky that he expected Ukrainians at no time to target anything with any weapons beams inside Russian geographic territory? So the president has been really clear. He spoke to this before. Jake has spoken to this. The admiral has spoken to this. Not, well, the, look, I can't confirm anything about the pipeline. We doubt very much, Corinne Jean-Pierre, that you could confirm anything about anything. If it's not in the binder full of quotes, then you're not going to be commenting at all. We, we, we get this. We've learned from you that you are not what we call in the business um, capable. That's the term we're looking for, capable. You're just not. It's not our fault that you're not capable. It's your fault after all this time that you're not capable. But you're not. The indictment of Trump, the arrest, the everything else, well, is it, I don't know if there's anything left to say. I don't know if there's anything left to shock. We're going to watch this happen in real time, everybody. And we are going to see whether or not Trump's team can bring about a uh, a a take that will make but will work for people that Trump has been harassed since the beginning that Trump is uh, uh being uh, uh treated with a different standard look what Hillary Clinton did look what Joe Biden has done uh, and and these were not presidents who have the authority to declassify anything at any time this is pure evil and we will prevail the one thing that's that we do know is that when this is done Trump is flying back to Jersey and having a fundraiser. The guy's not stopping. The guy is not quitting. And this is why people love him. Even I, who, you know, I Trump or, or not Trump, me, I just want to win. I just want to win. And there's a real question as to whether or not Trump can win a general. But to deny that, to deny that he's, popular and there's a reason people are attracted to him to me is amongst some of the crazier stuff you can do how could you not recognize 
the popularity of the man. How could you even think that this is somehow, well, these people just aren't educated. What is that nonsense, crazy silliness? These people are absolutely aware, and what they are aware of is that not everybody will fight, and he will, as we've been discussing. But we really should get into where some of the drama and dilemmas are for some of these candidates. You heard Vivek Ramaswamy, candidate for president, and Ramaswamy was there in Miami and stated this. That we have sent this letter, and I'm happy to announce, this is my commitment on January 20th, 2025, if I'm elected the next U.S. president, to pardon Donald J. Trump for these offenses in this federal case. And I have challenged, I have demanded that every other candidate in this race either sign this commitment to pardon on January 20th, 2025, or else to explain why they are not. Now, that's a take. And that take says, hey, I'm available to be vice president. It's not actually the worst take in the world, if we're all going to be honest. That is what he's saying. Everybody knows that's what he's saying. If he doesn't know that's what he's saying, well, then he doesn't know what he's actually saying. If I'm another candidate, I have to sign your thing to to prove that I'm legit? Nah, I don't. I, I, I would ignore it. What What kind of junior high school type tactic is this? Don't ignore the crowds that are out there. Don't ignore the level of support the guy has. Foolish stuff. Is that support foolish in and of itself? Should these people learn, realize, understand that they're supporting a guy who simply can't win? The answer is, oh, no, 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 no. First of all, what is this idea that he can't win? Of course the guy can win. The the real conversation here is, do you not understand that the left has absolutely no one like this? The left is desperate to get you to forget him. And the left has no one to compete with him. They've got nobody. No one who can come close to uh, the the charisma, to the attraction, to getting people excited. They got nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that, by the way, is part of their frustration. You understand that. Part of their frustration is that they can't compete. They've got no one. Mayor Pete, is is that what I'm going to hear? That Mayor Pete is the guy who can compete when it comes to just, hey, this is a really interesting guy. <laughs> He's just like me. He actually cares. Stop talking. You sound ridiculous. They've got no one. Absolutely no one. 
And they're not going to have anyone either. There's nobody on the bench. There's nobody who comes close. So as we engage this conversation about what is just destruction, the desire to destroy, we understand so much of this comes from the fact that they've got no counter. None. So we're watching it now. This is the crowd that has grown around uh, the, the, the courthouse. Uh, this is Fox News, I think, reporting on this one. It's a very sad situation for the country to be in at this point. And it just, again, raises the question in my mind as we look forward in this political scene. Because I think that everything has changed since Donald Trump came on the scene, right? And, and we talk a lot over the course of political campaigns about whether or not there's room for a third-party candidate. But there is the possibility, when you look at this Ukraine story and these recordings that grab Grassley talked about last night, and we're going to continue to dig in on that on the story. You know, do the American people at some point say, you know what, a pox on all your houses? Uh, we want another choice. So, no, no, they don't, Martha McCallum. No, they don't, because in order to get the third party candidate to really take hold, what you need is somebody who can create a third party. Ron Paul couldn't do it. The Greens can't do it. The Libertarians cannot do it. I want to love you, Libertarians, but let's be clear. You can't do it. Trump can. The problem is, if Trump creates a third party, Trump won't win, and neither will the Republican. And the Trump voter already seems to have stated that it's Trump or nothing. We'll stay home, we'll go third party, we'll do whatever it is we want to do. And therefore, it's four more years of Joe Biden. You'll have taught us a lesson. Never Trump and only Trump are dangerous things. Now, this goes in contradiction to something that I believe. You want to run for president, run for president. No one should be able to stop you. Create a better message, you'll beat that person. I'm not here to stop Donald Trump from doing it because I already understand that he is a guy who would absolutely do it. Will he? I don't know. I would say the odds are pretty dang good if he didn't get the nomination. Will he? Hmm. I think there's a couple of factors in 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 there. I I think he's a guy who could say, you know, they all want me to run third party because then, you know, you know, I'll win. But I don't know if that's what's best. And all of a sudden he becomes some kind of unifier and it's good. Good for him and, and, and his brand. Remember the first two rules of Trumpism. The first rule of Trumpism is Trump wins. The second rule of Trumpism is that a deal can always be made as long as it adheres to the first rule of Trumpism. That that has not changed and it's not about to change. I don't know. I can't I can't tell you with any level of certitude that he's going to run a third party. I'm telling you that it's possible. But no one else can. And this is where I disagree. Uh, or I would tell Martha McCallum, who you heard right there, that I disagree with her. Who else could run third party? Ron DeSantis? No. Chris Christie? <laughs> Hold on. My laugh isn't good enough. <laughs> Mike Pence? If you don't have the votes, you don't have the votes. 
I'm not even angry with Mike Pence. I'm just stating a fact. No, they can't. You need a cult of personality in order to make that happen. The only person who has it in America after Tucker Carlson is Donald Trump. DeSantis can get the Republican nomination and get Republicans excited. Of course he can. Of course he can. I just don't think he can get the Trump people to come along. This is where the whole problem is. But no one can run third party except for Trump. And I'm not even sold on the idea that he would do it. I'm not. I mean, anything and everything is possible at all times. Everything and anything is possible at all times. But I just don't see it happening. I don't see him running third party. By the way, that's today. Tomorrow is another day. What, 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 what movie am I quoting there? I'm quoting a movie. Tara Wood. Is it Gone with the Wind? Then tomorrow is another day? That's what I, that's what I thought. If I'm wrong, let me know on Twitter, at Tony Katz. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. A hundred bad days made a hundred good stories. A hundred good stories make me It is what we decide now that will define the rest of humanity's future. And whether we choose to do that or not, if we don't, it will be a death sentence to countless of people. And it is already a death sentence to countless of people living on the front lines of the climate crisis today. Oh, Greta, I missed you. I missed you so incredibly much. I didn't have anybody to lecture to me. Nobody was trying to scare my kids. Oh, nobody was giving me a scowl as I walked in a room. Nothing. You have been missed, Greta Thunberg. Oh, my goodness. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? She's not done. She is not done letting you know what an awful person you are and you should eat bugs and die quickly so you don't abuse the planet. But the political will is nowhere to be seen. The people in power are spending their time looking for false solutions and finding and creating loopholes which maintains business as usual and keeps them in the position of power. Our responsibility and our role here as activists in conferences like this is to call them out and to tell the truth. And the truth now is that these processes are failing. They are failing us here in this room. They are failing our children. They are failing all of humanity and the future generations to come. You're saying this while you're, you're at the United Nations, their climate change conference in Bonn, Germany. And I agree, totally failing us. I absolutely agree. And that is why, uh, Greta Thunberg, I have decided to help the environment by ensuring nobody flies to another one of these conferences again by canceling all conferences from the United Nations. I'm a man of the people. You hear me, Producer AJ? Man of the people. Saving the planet. That's right. That's right. Your children will live to see tomorrow because of me. End all of the nonsense conventions 
conferences. Stop putting turning on the lights and utilizing the electricity to scare kids and everything will be okay. They, they never get embarrassed. They never they never ever get embarrassed. By the way, Josh Hawley, so I talk about the five million dollars, the senator from Missouri, right here asking the questions. Stay with you. You just started to answer Senator Blackburn's question that not releasing the 1023 or talking about it as a matter of life and death, question of life and death, you said. Explain. It is potentially a question of life and death for whom? with regard to the source of the information. So, okay, so now we've confirmed that the document exists. That's progress because the FBI director initially denied that it exists. Why did he do that? We, we have already and previously acknowledged the existence of the documents. Yeah, after you first denied it. Now, when a member of this committee read it, right, the FBI director, let's just get the record straight. The FBI director initially said it doesn't exist. Then Senator Grassley said, I've read it. Then he said, oh, okay, well, gotcha. I guess it does exist. The $5 million potential bribe to Joe Biden and to Hunter Biden. The possibility of 17 phone conversations, 15 with Hunter Biden, two with then-Vice President Joe Biden. The money coming from a Burisma executive, the phone conversations being recorded by a Burisma executive. Sorry, this is the biggest story in America. Not Trump... Uh, pleading not guilty and being arraigned. Nope. This. The story that no one's talking about. The story that's getting zero minutes from the news media. This. And I ain't giving up on it. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.